0: Hi, you're listening to Living Life on Purpose, and I'm your host, Matt Wilson. The goal of this show is for us to sit down with successful people who also live a life of purpose. We want you to hear their stories, understand that they've had to overcome adversity, how their faith has played a role, and ultimately, we want you to be encouraged by the things that you hear so that you can walk through similar situations. We hope you enjoy. Here in the studio with Congressman Gary Palmer and... Congressman Palmer grew up in Hackleburg, a small town in northwest Alabama. He now lives in Hoover and represents Alabama's sixth congressional district. Mr. Palmer attended the University of Alabama and was the first person on either side of his family to attend college. In addition, he was a walk-on member of the football team under legendary football coach Bear Bryant. For 24 years he was the head of the Alabama Policy Institute, before he ran for Congress and won in 2014 as a member of the 114th Congress. Gary, it's a, a pleasure to have you here today.
1: Great to be here, Matt. Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, this is a follow-up interview, so got to have you last time when this was a video series, and so um, it's definitely good to, to have you on again and just kind of uh, follow up on some of the things that we discussed last time. Uh, in our last meeting you know, you talked about how you'd literally gone from the outhouse to the White House. Yeah. And that was definitely uh, a powerful statement. Kind uh, of tell that story again for the people that, that may have missed that interview before the conversation that you had with your mom.
1: Well, I grew up pretty much dirt poor. Uh, my dad had maybe an eighth grade education and, and, uh, grew up in a house that he built himself that only finished what he could pay for. And prior to that, we'd lived in a little, what they call a shotgun house at the edge of Cowlick Branch, a little creek below the house. And we didn't have indoor plumbing. We had an outhouse and we'd bathe in that little creek. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he built this house and initially it didn't have uh, indoor facilities, That, but Dad quickly rectified that uh but like I said, he only finished what he could pay for. The room I shared with my brother had cardboard between the two floors and part of the room because he didn't have the money to finish putting sheetrock in. He was a logger. Uh, I grew up skidding logs with mules. And, uh, and, and as you said in the introduction there, I'm the first person in my family on either side to, to go to college. I worked, um, for, in business, worked for a couple of international engineering companies and started the think tank. And, uh, and in the course of my work with the think tank, I did a lot of work in Washington. Uh, uh, my first real opportunity to do any work in D.C. was on the Clarence Thomas confirmation. And then later, uh, during uh, uh, Bush 43, George W. Bush, I did a good bit of work with the White House. And I was um, at the White House in some meetings. And, and, and either the meeting had concluded or we were in a break and I was walking down hall looking out on the south lawn and it dawned on me that i'd never call my parents from the white house so i just stopped right where i was and called home and my mom answered the phone and and i said mom i just wanted to call you i'm at the white house and uh, i said i've literally gone from the outhouse to the white house and she laughed and i laughed and i said uh, but what i really wanted to, to say is there's not another country in the world where a guy could grow up like i did and be where I am right now. So it was a a great moment. My dad died before I ever ran for office. I'd never run for office before when I ran for Congress. He died in March of 2012. Of course, I got elected in November of 2014, but mom would, uh, told me multiple times how proud dad would have been uh, had he lived. And he lived uh, to a ripe old age. He was 87 and a half, I guess. Hmm when he passed. But uh, that's the kind of country we live in, Matt. I tell people, I'm just your average great American story. And and people look at me. But I, but it's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've met so many people uh, who have almost similar or maybe even tougher backgrounds than, than I do, who have uh, achieved all, uh, at all kind of levels. And we live in a country where that is that's not unusual. That's almost normal. So that's why I say I'm just your average great American story.
0: Well, that's definitely a powerful story, and I do think that that there are a lot of people that have achieved various levels of success from humble beginnings, but um, at the same time, you know you do have to you know have perseverance, you've got to have hard work, you've got to have you know, solid principles that they keep you going on a daily basis. You know, it's interesting to me that that you can hear stories like yours and and a lot of other, you know, success stories, and then you still have people that want to, you know, criticize the the type of country that we do live in and say, you know, some people have an unfair advantage or some people don't have as much of an advantage. Uh, what would you say to, you know, some of those folks that that say that either – know capitalism doesn't work or we ought to try some different method when you know we've had one of the greatest economies in the history of the world if not the greatest um, where anybody can truly achieve anything they want to with hard work and God's help
1: well I would say if you are not happy with the situation in the United States look at India or look at China Uh, literally you had the greatest number of people rise out of poverty Because of capitalism, even in its modified form uh, in China, than than at any place in the history of the world. Almost like 25 percent of the population went from from world-class poverty to the middle class. The same thing is happening in India, to the degree that it could very well surpass China. But it is because of of free market principles. Uh, I think there are a lot of people out there whose agenda is really not. Uh, economic uh, income equality or economic equality. It's, it is is a complete deconstruction of the United States and, and uh, a power grab. I mean, some of the same people who are saying these things were people who thought Maduro was a great president in Venezuela and thought Cuba was uh, a, a model economy and model society. They have a very dangerous agenda, and I think people need to be very much aware of it. I, I do a lot of uh, interviews, obviously, and uh, I had uh, a radio talk show host uh, want me to come on the show, and all he wanted to talk about was the effort to impeach President Trump. And that's that's an important topic. Uh, it, it may even have uh, ramifications that, that reach a constitutional crisis. We'll know more when the Horowitz report comes out, but this is very serious stuff. But you cannot talk about that 24-7. If you do, then you're going to miss what the real agenda of the other side is. And and I asked him. I said, Are you do you are you aware that the first ten bills, the first ten numbers, uh, in any Congress are reserved by the majority party for their their uh, top priority bills? That'd be H R one through H R ten. And he said, No, no. And I said, Well, do you remember what H R one was? We've already passed it. Do you remember what it was? And he said, No. I said, that's federalization of the elections. It is a complete takeover of the elections that literally would put 3 to $4 million into the campaign accounts of every member of Congress. Taxpayer money. It's a takeover of our elections. And then you can go right on down the line with, with their version of the Green New Deal, Medicare for All, uh, a radical uh, uh, deconstructing of the regulations that we passed in banking to get uh put the government in control of the capital formation, and you can go right down the line. And I said, you don't know that because all we talk about 24-7 is the attempt to, Im- to impeach the president. And and sometimes I think this is actually a distraction that that they're using to keep us from focusing on their real agenda. And his response, I saw him in person a few days later, and he said, do you really think they would pass that? And I said, well, where were you in 2010? The first legislation, the House of Representatives, when when the Democrats got control, the first legislation they passed was uh, uh, cap and trade. And fortunately, uh, it was filibustered in the Senate, and they couldn't muster 60 votes. But the next bill they passed, and they did it through reconciliation so it couldn't be filibustered in the Senate, was Obamacare. And they passed that, a huge bill in a remarkably short amount of time. And literally, Nancy Pelosi said that we have to pass this to find out what's in it. That was literally true, and and now that we found out what's in it, uh, both sides want to get rid of it. They want to replace it with Medicare for All. We want to replace it with a health care system that works. I just think you asked that question, what's this about? I, I can say it in one word, power. It's power over your every decision you make uh, as, as a, a voter. It's power over your ability to start a business. It's, uh, it's power over the the entire energy sector which will impact the entire economy and you can go right down the line about what this is about but it comes down to one thing and that's power
0: Well, I think that, you know, it's already hard enough as is to start a business, run a business uh, in this country. And, you know, there are plenty of successful people that do that. But, you know, the more burdensome regulation and the more difficult it is for people to do those things, the harder it is for the economy to continue to grow. And obviously, the more regulation there is, and I know you've done a good job with uh, the members in the House of of trying to deregulate some of those things. But... Uh, the more burdens that are placed on the business owner, the, the fewer people they're going to hire, the fewer people they're going to give pay raises, the fewer people they're going to uh, want to attract for the future or, or you know, the less they want to expand in infrastructure, things of that nature.
1: Well, here's the thing about about that, too, is that in most companies and, and we go out around the district and visit companies, it it is a, a mixed bag of small business, bigger businesses. And they have employees, black, white, Hispanic, male, female. And, and from, at least from my analysis, and, and I'll talk to a lot of the employees about how, you know, how they're doing, and, and, and I ask the owners, what are you paying these people? Do you provide benefits? Most of these companies are paying uh, good wages. They're providing benefits, and the employees like working there. That promotes independence. That promotes independence for the individuals working there. It promotes uh, independence in the communities, and it also promotes interaction among uh, the, the, the different uh, groups within a community. That's not what the agenda is a lot of times. It's about division and, uh, and getting more people dependent on government uh, uh, for everything, uh, not, not just your health care, but your job as well. And I think that's the biggest challenge that we face right now is how do we restore a sense of, of community Without us having to have another catastrophe like 9/11, that sense of that we all are in this together, and we really are. I, my, I'm very, very concerned about the the loss of, of faith in the country. The number, the percentage of, of Americans that have no religion at all. I guess John Lennon would have been happy about that. You know, his song imagined uh, no religion. Well, well, we're we've got more and more people who have no religion, or their religion is environmentalism, or some other thing that causes people to act out like the El Paso shooter who's an eco-fascist, which mm-hmm. that's not being reported the way it should be. Uh, you also have the issue of the lack of, of ability to forgive. And when you can't forgive someone, you harbor grudges. That that builds uh, an atmosphere of contempt, and contempt will lead to hatred. And hatred will lead to some really bad outcomes. So I, I think when you look at the overall country and, and what is our biggest challenge. I think it's going to be cultural. Uh, you know, the ability to, to restore a sense of community and, and community values that we all agree on, how to live together peacefully, how to restore the broken homes. Uh, when you start looking at these young men who've carried out these mass shootings, the majority of them are from homes where the dad wasn't present. And, and we could go on from there. Uh, the suicide rate and, and the drug overdose death rate is so high in this country that for the last three years in a row, the Center for Disease Control has lowered life expectancy in, in the United States, the most affluent, most advanced nation in the history of the world. And I think a lot of it has to do with what's happened in our culture and the loss of the mediating institutions, the the influence and, and, and uh, respect for the pastors and rabbis and our faith leaders, our law enforcement. I mean, you look at what's happened with in new york with them throwing water on on law enforcement Mm -hmm. that would never have happened in in my childhood same way the lack of respect for uh the others the loss of other meeting institutions all around whether it's the boy scouts or whatever we've got to figure out a way to bring people back together
0: well i think that that is extremely important for people to realize that the number one you know that there is a, a god and that there is heaven hell those things are real and, and understand that, that those are, I mean, when you have those beliefs and when that is a guiding principle, then you're going to act differently or you should. Mm-hmm. And with that, that's one of the things that I like about you the most is that you let your faith guide you. You adhere to those principles. You adhere to those morals. And you know, the, the conversation we were just having before we went on the air uh, last week at a you know, little Pastries with Palmer event I mean, I, I witnessed uh, a handful of people surround you in a mob-type fashion. Uh, one particular person got, you know, maybe six inches from your face, and I asked you how you responded. Uh, you, well, I know how you responded. You responded with grace, and you responded extremely calm and, you know, very kind, never got agitated at all. But, but I asked you that question, how you were able to, to maintain that calm, and what was your response?
1: Well, I pray before these events that no matter who's there, no matter what's said, that I'll have the heart and mind of Jesus Christ toward everybody. And uh, I wish I could say that I've always lived by that. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, wisdom comes with, with learning, and learning comes with experience, and experience comes with age. But what I've come to realize is that i cannot tell you anything about these individuals or any individual really their life experiences unless i've known them for years and years so i don't know how what they've experienced in their life and and it's made me so much more aware uh and and careful about what i say even in a joking manner because what might be funny to me or you or somebody else for some people based on some horrible life experiences it might not be funny so I tried to to again to stay calm and to just try to have the heart and mind of Christ toward everybody, and to be very very careful about how I respond to people because I don't know what they've been through and what you've been through largely shapes how you respond to things and really how you see things. That's what I what I try to do, and and it's not always easy. They have a right to to tell me what their grievances are. Or, what their ideas are, or how they think things ought to be done, and I try to respond in as uh, kind of manner as I can.
0: Well, I I saw it firsthand. You did an excellent job, and um, I know that it can't always be easy. I see some of the things that are you know posted online and um, very hurtful for me, you know, as your friend to see posted, let alone uh, for you know you or your family to to see some of those hateful things.
1: Well, let me um, comment on that. Uh, I spoke at Briarwood Presbyterian Church and their Christianity in America program. And, and I talked about that. My sister-in-law was there and I, I took down my personal Facebook page a couple of years ago because I got tired of the vitriol that was showing up on that and got tired of my wife and family being able to see it. So I just mm-hmm. took it down. But the thing that I want to point out there is that there's two kinds of people who post things like that. One of them is a small group. Uh, I think uh, they're well-intended people who are genuinely distressed about the future and, and of the country and the direction we're going, and they're they're just so frustrated and 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 so concerned that that's a platform that that they use sometimes uh, inappropriately to 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 release that that frustration. But there's another group, and it's it, I think it's a bigger group and a far more dangerous group. Some of them are paid to post on these sites. Uh, Some of them uh, are—Russia's involved in this. China, even the the Iranians are Mm -hmm. involved in some of this. But uh, some of them are paid by political groups. And they're really not talking to me, um, because they know when they post that stuff that I know the truth. They're talking to you, and they're talking to everybody that reads those posts. And the message to the people who read those posts is is this— don't you ever think for one minute about running for office yourself. Mm-hmm. We will sub- subject you to this or worse. So don't you even think about doing it. By the way, you should never support any politician mm-hmm. because they're all, as we described them, you shouldn't give them a dime support. You shouldn't help with their campaigns. You shouldn't be involved at all. That's really what's going on with this stuff is they're trying to convince you that we're all horrible And that if you have even the the slightest indication of running yourself, they'll treat you the same way. That's what people need to understand uh, about this. And, you know, Plato said the punishment that the wise suffer who refuse to participate in their government is to be governed by people worse than themselves. That's what I'm afraid is going to happen here. We're we're going to get to a point where nobody will, will run for office, nobody that we would really want to hold office. And we'll wind up with a lot of people who really do want to take the country in a very bad direction.
0: Well, that's definitely a a sad state of affairs. And I've definitely seen plenty of good people vilified for no reason. Uh, But I saw an interesting statistic today, and this was uh, August 2nd in the New York Post. Uh, But a recent poll found that 27 percent of millennials have no close friends. Twenty five percent have no acquaintances And 22%, or 1 in 5, have no buddies at all. This compares with only 9% of baby boomers and 15% of Gen Xers who are reporting having zero pals. I mean, that, to me, broke my heart. That Mm -hmm. there are that many people walking around that feel like they have nobody. No friends, no acquaintances, no buddies. I mean, those are people that, that do desperate things. And well, those are people up. that lash out on social media. Those are people that lash out in these types of uh, mass shootings. They're they're people that feel like nobody understands them, and you know they'll do something to get people's attention because nobody else sees them or knows them. And then that's a very scary situation.
1: Well, it's one of the reasons why the suicide rate's so high among people under thirty, and and the drug overdose rates are are. Off the charts. I mean, in night in 2017, we had over 70,000 people die from drug overdoses. That's almost 12,000 more than died in the entire Vietnam War, and 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 it's widely believed that those numbers are underreported by 15 to 20 percent because so many families don't want it on the death certificate that it was an overdose. They put natural causes, and then the suicide rate, and it's 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 rampant everywhere. It's 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 a problem right here, and it's. Uh, it is a, a sense of hopelessness. Um, you know, we um, we had communion at church yesterday, and I try to read those passages in Luke. Uh, you know, the Last Supper. Uh, you know, the crucifixion, and then I like I get to that part about where the women went to the tomb and found it empty, mm-hmm. and they were confronted by the angels who said, "Why do you seek the living among the dead?" And then. It really hit me, the next line says, and then they remembered his words. It wasn't until Jesus had gone through all that he had done and then they found an empty tomb that it, that they realized what he was saying, that they remembered his, his words. But what the angels asked, that question, why do you seek the living among the dead, made me think of this. And, and, and it really comes down, I think really speaks to where we are in our culture is people are seeking life from things that are dead. They find fulfillment, uh, they find purpose, they find joy, they find some kind of satisfaction in things that are dead, rather than being focused on on the one thing that brings life. I write my own devotions, and I just took out a, a card and scribbled this on the back of it about... It really, it really spoke to me about where we are in our culture is that we're a culture that seeks life from things that are dead and instead of pursuing real life. It's kind of along the theme of what your program's about.
0: Well, it is, you know, it's so just like there are people that have certain agendas in this country and in this world, You know, the enemy's got an agenda to just promote evil as much as possible. Uh, the number one genre on netflix for movies is horror so the more people are taking in death and depravity the more they Mm. want to you know consume more of it and the more they go out and and they unleash that on the world and you know they're not being filled up with hope they're not being filled up with love they're not being filled up with any of the fruits of the spirit and they are getting filled up with all of this nastiness and it is leading to depression hopelessness anxiety fear
1: perversity yeah
0: mean it's um it's definitely sad to see so uh we've we've hit them with a lot of tough issues so what can we do as people that do have that hope as people that do have that strength that do have that faith what can we do to to move things forward in a positive manner
1: well I think in any time you're trying to create a mass movement it all starts with individuals and and self-evaluation about where you are and how you view things and and that's really how it started with me I mean I didn't and people may not believe this, but it was never Ann and I and my ambition to be in Congress. My, I, I was hoping to impact the culture in a positive way through the Alabama Policy Institute. But because it wasn't something that we really were seeking, it wasn't the brass ring that we wanted to grab, we... I think we both realize you don't find your fulfillment in achieving an objective. You find it in achieving God's purpose for your life. I know you've read John Maxwell. We've talked about this, but he has the, the be, do, have rule. You want to be who God wants you to be. You want to do what God wants you to do so that you can have what God wants you to have. And And some folks are afraid to live like that because they're afraid that what God wants them to have is less than what they think they want. But I can assure you that when you have what God wants you to have, it's perfect. It's better than anything you get for yourself. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't come with the baggage. I think what we need to be doing is praying for a great awakening and a great reevaluation of what we value uh, in, in our, our lives individually and as a country. And, and I think we've got to pray for a grace, for a great sense that we need to have forgiving spirits. We can't keep living in the past and you know, we're, we're really divided racially and economically and, and even spiritually and people say, Well that's just a bunch of mumbo jumbo. No it isn't. It's a it's all about how to live together in a spirit of community and respect and if we can do that, uh, we're never going to be a perfect country. If you read the preamble of the constitution it doesn't say in order to, to, to create a perfect union, it says a more perfect union. And I think if if we make it our individual responsibility, if it starts with Matt, starts with Gary and and our families then then I think we got a chance.
0: I definitely think that that people have to take that initiative on themselves and they can't wait for somebody else to do something. Mm -hmm. They've got the ability to do something. And we've got how grace works though. That's right.
1: It's not well I'll give you grace if you do this, it's Mm -hmm. I, I forgive you. The grace is unmerited. It's free.
0: Yeah, free gift for everybody that's that's available. Through Jesus, mm-hmm. um, you know, So I want to encourage you all. Um, you know, we are talking about some very tough issues that we're facing, but um, you know, we've at least got somebody in office that, that is willing to stand for his beliefs, willing to uh, not back down from a, a tough uh, debate. Uh, who's highly intelligent, probably one of the most intelligent people that is in Washington D.C. Uh, But also just a a servant-hearted leader and just spent Gary's birthday with him up in Washington. He was supposed to meet us for dinner, had a late vote, ended up having to miss dinner, getting the tail end of dinner. And then he was doing a a Capitol tour and we went on the Capitol tour. He spent three hours with us on his birthday after he doesn't even get to enjoy the meal and enjoyed every second of that meeting, and not only was he walking around on the you know the tour, sharing with us about what went on, but but giving us the historical data behind the portraits, giving us the historical data behind the statues, and just you know full of passion. So not only does he know history, but he can recite it, and he knows the importance of why he's why he's there. Uh, another encouraging statement or fact is that there are a lot of Christians that are in Congress. Uh, got to participate in the congressional Bible study that, that Gary helps host in uh, May of last year. And, and it was powerful to be in the halls of Congress and people praying, people reciting scripture, people realizing that, that there's a greater good that they serve versus just uh, dealing with the issues of today. So I um, wanted to just remind you all of that. If you ever wonder, is there anything positive going on in Washington? Yes, and, and Gary is a huge part of that. So, Gary, I really appreciate you being here, all that you do, all that you stand for. I mean, the man has literally been shot at and, you know, was in the office later on that afternoon with a torn hamstring. Yeah,
1: torn hamstring.
0: So, I mean, he just he keeps on going because he knows that that he is living out the purpose that God has for his life. And he wants to make sure that that the impact that he leaves on this earth is, you know, to God's glory and not his own. So. I really appreciate all that you do, Gary.
1: Thanks for having me on, Matt.
0: Well, thank you guys so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it and we will see you next time.